fears China's latest plan for a security pact with the Pacific is designed to give them more influence in the area. China has sent a draft to 10 Pacific countries outlining a plan for policing, security and data communications cooperation. It comes ahead of a meeting Foreign Minister Wang Yi is hosting in Fiji next week. National's Foreign Affairs spokesperson Jerry Brownlee says it's deeply concerning and shows China's desire to deepen its involvement in Pacific affairs. Joining me now is Sir Don McKinnon, not just our longest serving foreign minister, but a foreign minister who annually took a plane load of MPs, NGOs, students, traders and civil servants around the Pacific. Good morning to you, Sir Don. Good morning, Terry. There's nothing really new in China looking to expand its influence, is it? I mean, it's done that throughout Africa. It's part of its Belt and Road Initiative. There's nothing new about what they're doing. Well, what the only thing that's new, Kerry, is that China has become an incredibly wealthy nation. Yep. And to some extent, China is doing in the 21st century what Europe did in the 19th century and the Americans did in the 20th century. They used their wealth, uh, immense wealth, to go around the world having influence. So uh, that really is a reflection of just how successful they have been as an economy. As, and what is the issue with that? Is it when you tie up um, loans, because they're very good at giving loans, and then um, using that to, well, I suppose, basically blackmail them into signing up to deals they might not otherwise sign up to? Well, they're very keen on getting engaged, and they will use that engagement for political leverage when they see fit. Yes, they have a, they have a desire to uh, acquire uh, assets in different parts of the world that can help their own standard of living. That's understood. Mm. But I think for our sake, in the, in the South Pacific, first of all, you know, this is our home region, and I do not like people who refer to it as our backyard. No one yeah. wants to be someone's backyard. But look, we've had a number, we've, we've had long engagement in the Pacific. It needs more than a reset. It needs a full embracing of Pacific nations. We have to get alongside them much more actively in terms of education. Uh, I don't know how many Pacific leaders now have had their education in New Zealand. At one time, I think half the Solomon Islands cabinet have been educated in New Zealand. We've got to be far more positive about immigration. That's one of the big problems they have, of course, is where do the people go? And, of course, recognising climate change, you know, Kiribati and Tuvalu, not one piece of real estate in those two islands is more than two feet above, two metres above sea level. Yeah. They are under real threat, and that's where immigration plays a part. So we've got to be less semi-detached and far more all-embracing not prepared to say, look, we'll take anyone who can be an all-black, yeah. uh, but take a wide range of people, engage them at New Ze- in New Zealand in education and the professions, and that'll link us more closely and be part of those Pacific Islands. But ultimately decisions are made by Pacific leaders, and if they want and need money for infrastructure, uh, we are not going to win a bidding war. We're not going to win a bidding war, and that has gone on for some time. What you're looking for is ensuring that all those specific leaders feel at home talking with, engaging with Kiwis, 
at, at a variety of levels. And so understand there is a difference between engaging with New Zealand and engaging with China. For instance, if in fact all these islands are faced with signing a deal with China, are they prepared to put into that contract that we, we both, both sides, both the island and China, are prepared to have annual discussions about human rights in each other's countries? Spread out your desire to be engaged in more than just what is being offered by the Chinese. When it comes to building those relationships, do you think this government has done enough to build I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything concrete. I can hear the rhetoric, but I'm trying to think of any visits. I mean, it's been difficult with COVID, I get that, but has there been enough well, done? Well, a lot of it, you see, we, we do give a lot of aid to the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, have a look at what the aid is used for. And I would say... Uh, take a deep look at the educational side. That is where you will influence people. Catch people in pre-secondary school or pre-university and offer them the chance of scholarships in New Zealand. Now, at one time, we we, we made these available very willy-nilly because, frankly, tertiary education costs in New Zealand were just absorbed by the government. Now we charge people for tertiary education, so that becomes quite an impact on our aid budget. But let's, let's be more positive about it. How can we more actively engage with these people that will count positively for us not just today, but in 10, 20, 30 years' time. And that's, that's how you compete with the Chinese. By building meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships across a wide range, not just future all blacks or, uh, or black sticks or anything like that. Uh, so engage at many levels and ensure that uh, they are as familiar with our education system and our way of life as they are with their own on the islands. Why does it matter? Does it matter purely that we are able to head China off at the pass if they want to set up installations within the Pacific? Well, that's that's been happening. Look, I've seen many instances of, of Chinese investments throughout Africa. I've seen from the Caribbean, yeah. uh, especially at a time when it was China versus Taiwan, because you know they were equally present in those areas, but. The long-term engagement is more than just building a stadium or building an office block or building houses. It's the long-term engagement of people involved with people, seeing each other as equals, working together, fully embracing the other side, not, I think, as we've been doing for the last probably 20, 30 years, in a semi-detached way. So more effort from Nanaya Mahuta? Well, it's at all levels. It's very much at the political level. It must begin, obviously, but it must translate into the trade area. You know, sometimes I do have to remind many of our own people, we know what it's like to be on the tail end of uh, problems that Australia dumps on us. Let us not treat the Pacific Islands in the way that sometimes Australia treats us which is a fair point. And just on Nanaya Mahuta, as a foreign affairs minister, would you have been in regular contact with ambassadors during a time of you know, warfare? Well, it's, it's part of your role, obviously, to keep in contact. Sometimes you get that information from officials. Sometimes you make direct contact. You always know if you're going to 
uh, telephone a, a, uh, an ambassador in a foreign country that probably someone else is listening to your conversation anyway. Mm. So you do have to be a little bit careful about what you want to say on the phone. But you do want to remain engaged. If I was to call our ambassador in Russia now, the first thing I'd be talking about how are your staff getting on, yeah. uh, how are they handling this pressure, that sort of thing. Make sure, let them know that they, they still have friends in New Zealand, not just within the foreign ministry itself. Uh, it is, for a small country like New Zealand, the most important diplomacy we can utilise from time to time is what is built on long-term relationships. And we have to work at it very hard because we are just a small country. Which brings us back to the Pacific again neatly. Thank you, Sir Don. Always good to talk. Sir Don McKinnon, uh, our longest serving foreign minister.